Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre here for our second episode of 2023 our Australian Open preview episode, and so happy to be welcomed uh, welcomed by one of the premier journalists in tennis, author and reporter for Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim. Uh, John, thanks uh, so much uh, for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, stick with my background noises here. I apologize, but good to, uh, good to be with you. It's good to have you back, John. It's been a couple of years, I think, and uh, you know, Canadian tennis has grown so much in that time. Our podcast is also experienced a lot of growth so we're happy to have you back and what better time than the start of the first major of the year so I want to start with that in terms of you know what kind of appeal does the Aussie Open have for you like uh, for me personally growing up Wimbledon was the first major that captured my heart I got to be honest but the Aussie Open is always the one that I'm most excited about because it's the first slam of the calendar year you want to see who's been training hard in the offseason who's made improvements often it's unpredictable what, what are your general thoughts as this first major approaches every year? One is just how far it's come. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm aging myself here, but in, you know, in like the 90s when I started following tennis, this was definitely a, a distant fourth among the majors. Some of that is obviously kind of in uh, where, where you and I are in our part of the world. It comes on at odd hours. But, you know, I mean, these were player fields where you, you look back and it was almost optional for the for the top players. Now, I think a lot of them are thinking, you know, the, the McEnroe's and Martina and Chrissy, I'm thinking about, wow, if I knew that majors were going to be the end all be all, I would have been sure to have been in Melbourne every year, um, which wasn't always the case. But no, I mean, the, the event, it's, it's a great event in person. It's a lot of fun to to cover. It's great for the fans. But I just think it's really sort of become uh, very, very much a major, little M major in, in, every, in every sense of the word. And that wasn't the case, uh, you know, 25, 30 years ago. But uh, it's, it's a wonderful sporting event, I think, to the players. Uh, a lot of what you said, it's sort of this referendum on how did you spend the offseason. In a weird way, I think it actually is kind of helpful that you have such a big high stakes event two weeks into the year. And it really has become very much, I think, on par with the other three, which, again, wasn't even close to being the case not all that long ago. Yeah, we definitely agree with you. We've had guests on in the past, like Jimmy Connors, who said it just wasn't like that back in his day. That overall major count didn't hold as much weight. And now everyone who's healthy is definitely there. It's on equal footing with the other slams. And and as we have a draw that's uh, mostly healthy on, on both sides, although we are missing Carlos Alcaraz, that's a huge omission on the men's side. When you saw the draw sort of uh, come out the other day, what were the immediate sort of maybe couple of storylines that intrigue you when you're looking at uh, both of those draws? Well, I think one of them was uh, strange that Nadal and, and Medvedev are in the same quarter. It's not often that you see uh, the previous finalists uh, both on the same side, you know, both, both in the same pocket of the draw, Medvedev, the, the seventh seed. Um, and then I think it's sort of all, all eyes on Novak and the fact that he was gone last year and the circumstances were so strange. And yet he comes back in going for a 10th title playing as well as ever. And the, the fans do seem to sort of be back in his corner. Um, you know, we're in a much different place than we were 12 months ago when it really was uh, a pretty ugly situation. 
Yeah, so much has uh, changed in those past 12 months, which was uh, essentially an international incident the last time Novak Djokovic attempted to to play in Australia. And here he returns and, you know, you look back at his numbers at, at this event, which have been just so dominant and historic. He hasn't lost... Um, here since 2018 to uh Hyun Chung uh who of course is now uh, not even an active player do you view it as a, a Novak versus the field type of scenario again or is there enough enough depth right now on the men's tour to suggest it might be a bit more open than that yeah I mean I think that the biggest obstacle is uh it's, it's an unseated obstacle hamstring um I mean I think if, if mm. Novak's body holds up I think, I mean, you hate, it's sort of silly to say his to lose when there are 127 other really good players, but between the, the track record, the aura, Novak's history there, the best of five format, there are so many factors in his favor. Um, I, I think I, I would take him against the field right now, uh, for sure. It's just, uh, yeah, we're, we're talking, and this is at least as far as, you know, the, the, the betting odds, these are Nadal in his prime at the French Open type of favorite. And uh, I, it's, it's really hard, whether it's just kind of eyeballing the draw or going through a list of, you know, go down the list and, and tell me who, who's going to beat Novak Djokovic, right? I mean, Nadal has lost six of his last seven matches, and he just got done beating Medvedev in Adelaide. And Alcaraz isn't in the field. And Tsitsipas, we know the track record there. I mean, you just sort of, it's hard to conceive of a scenario, injuries being the, the great asterisk in which Novak doesn't win a 10th title and a 22nd major. Yeah. And well, that's, uh, I, I suppose brings, brings me to my next question. If we are sort of to build up a, maybe a small separate list of the other contenders of who can conceivably win it, if it is not Novak, uh, you know, you mentioned Stefano Tsitsipas, a, a player who's been looking for that breakthrough in his first slam for some time uh, here in, here in Canada, of course, and we can get to him in further detail, but we're very high uh, on Felix Ojealiasim and what he's accomplished the past few months. I uh, did Medvedev, as you mentioned, Nick Kyrgios feels like a wild card or, or, there are additional names that maybe you would add to that list of potential contenders here. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We, we haven't talked about the, uh, the defending champion who uh, yep. <laughs> has 22 majors, but, and I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, Nadal is, is very good at sort of minimizing his chances to begin with. It's part of his MO. I'm not sure he defends his title, but I also don't think he's going to lose, you know, he's, he's lost six of his last seven matches. I don't think that streak is going to, continue i think he's he's good for at least a few wins and then we'll see how he's holding up physically medvedev's been to the the last two finals in australia um but yeah i mean you know maybe this is a tournament where it goes back to the old days and then someone blasts through unexpectedly the way you know thomas johansson did in uh in 2002 but I, I just, you know, you, you go down that list and you sort of say, is, is he ready to win a best? Is Taylor Fritz ready to beat Novak Djokovic in a best of five match? I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, we, we all like Felix. We all like his disposition. We all like the progress he's made in the last, um, say, 10 months. But, you know, he, he didn't make it out of the first round of his previous major. I just, it's, it's really hard to you know, sort of come up with any scenario in which anyone other than Novak wins. But, you know, they're also a lot of really good tennis players and a lot of really good tennis left to be played. So uh, I think, I think you have an overwhelming favorite and then sort of a next pocket of favorites in which Felix is certainly in the mix. And then I don't know. I mean, can, can Francis, I'm just throwing out names here, but you know, can, can Holger Runa, you know, car, carve up 21 straight sets 
Um, it's a long shot, but crazier things have happened. Can he capture that uh, Paris Masters magic and exactly. translate it to, to best exactly. of five? Um, John, by the way, to guarantee you an invite back, you got to say some positive things about the Canadians when we next ask you a question. <laughs> so I'm just throwing that out there for you. But uh, in all seriousness, let's look at the, the women's side for a moment. And, um, you know, it looks like what well, we know, we're not going to get the same champion we had a year ago as Ash Barty is, is retired now and expecting her first child, although it was nice to see her back hitting some balls there the other day. Uh, likely a first-time slam winner uh, in Melbourne because uh, uh, Azarenka and Kennan are the only two that have won there before in the draw, and, and those are, are unlikely, especially Kennan. Uh, Fiontech took two slams last year. Was she your big favorite? And, and who else on the women's side? As Ben mentioned earlier, it's a little bit more wide open. Who have you got your eye on given the draw and, and uh, you know, women's hardcore form last year? Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll have a, a first-time slam winner. I, I definitely Sorry, think I meant we'll first-time first slam uh, winner in, in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I think, for sure. But we, we've, you're, as you said it very well, um, not only do we have uh, only two former champions in the draw, but one of them, Kennan, is ranked outside the top 100 in a protected ranking. The other one is Azarenka, who didn't win her title. It was a decade that ago that she won her title and they play in the first round so uh i, I think good, good chance we'll have a new champion i i think Iga's probably the player to be she won the previous major and she's you know light years ahead in terms of ranking points of, of number two i think she comes in uh maybe a little dented having lost to, to jesse pagula um a week ago when she was you know crying on the court during that match i mean that wasn't a, a tune-up match and sort of i'm saving myself for the big event clearly that match really dented her to some to some extent but i i think she's probably your favorite Oscar burr's been to the final of the previous two majors i i like two players um a, a little down a little further down on the menu one of them is sabalenka who you know remember a year ago she's serving underhand and now she comes in she's seated number five and she has you know she's already won a title this year we know about her power i think she could really do some damage and i also think um you know you, you hate to put too much pressure on a teenager but is is coco goff not rounding into uh form I, I think we all sort of are operating on the assumption her winning a major is uh a, a when and not an if she's already been to a major final and she's already won a title in 2023 i think she's got a real chance to uh to do some damage as well but no the, the women's field for sure is more open than the men's but that's, uh, you know, that's that's often the case, obviously. Yeah, two great names with Coco Goff. You feel it's almost a foregone conclusion. Sabalenka was one of those players that we kind of felt would have a slam by now. So it'll be interesting to see what both of them do. Uh, here I'll give you your chance to say some nice things about the red and white players, uh, and that is uh, Leila Annie Fernandez and Bianca Andrescu, two players that didn't have, by their own admission, seasons last year that they were uh, too satisfied with. For Bianca, she came in, you know, a few months late by her own design to work on her mental health and, and get to a place where she was happy on court again. And for Layla, it was that unfortunate foot uh, injury sustained at the French Open. What are your expectations for the two of them, both ranked sort of in that 40, early 40s range right now? Yeah, they're, they're only a couple of spots apart in the rankings. Um, I We are very big on Canadian tennis, let's be clear. Um, <laughs> I don't know what uh, your lovely country did to upset the Australians, because you have... Uh, you have, you have Felix playing lots of, we have the draw has just been brutal. Even I saw, even the qualifier drew the number four seed, Carolyn Garcia. Um, mm -hmm. Bianca draws a seed right off the bat. And I don't have the draw in front of me. But I believe Fernandez plays Alize Cornet. Yeah, correct. Right? Correct. 
so uh, the the fates of the draw have not done Canada any favors. Um, I, you know, on, on this surface, and I also think you, you mentioned mental health. I mean, there's there's something about Australia that appeals to a, to a certain kind of player, and I would think that Bianca in particular is that player where it's it's kind of a chill environment. I mean, obviously she she broke through in New York, which is a much different environment. But this this whole happy slam business is really not uh, just branding. I mean, there really is a different vibe. It's early in the season. Everybody's sort of filled with optimism and, and promise. And it's not the same media pressure. And it's not sort of the same chaos as, as the other majors. And I think that suits some players better than others. I, I think Bianca, I mean, the, the confidence has taken a bit of a hit and she speaks very candidly about that. But I think she's another one of these players who we, we all know is much better than what her ranking suggests. I mean, she's not, um, not, not even seated. And there's, there's no way there are 32 better players in the world than she is. She's the kind of player who, if she gets going, she can really get going. And I think, I think Fernandez is a, is a player who will give a lot of other players difficulties. I'm not sure on this slick, fast surface, if she has enough weapons to necessarily win the title, but I think uh, she's another player who could very easily get into the second week. Yeah. And uh, look, Bianca has looked like she's been in that happy type of mood, at least arriving in Australia and posting photos, petting koalas and and whatnot, and certainly enjoying her time, her time down under. But as, as you said, some very difficult draws, sort of early tests for the Canadians, just getting into the absence of, of big names. I, I mean, Mike, of course, mentioned no Carlos Alcaraz, Naomi, Naomi Osaka, we know is pregnant. So she sounds like she's going to miss all of 2023 and plans to return in 2024. Interesting. To note, you know, Paula Badosa and Isla Tomjanovic, it felt like within 24 hours of me just watching the Netflix series exactly. and seeing both of them featured in a match that suddenly they're out of the tournament. And, uh, you know, we don't have the Williams sisters anymore. No Roger Federer. Is there a maybe a different feel around this slam in terms of, I, I guess, the star power that we're looking towards and just, you know, not, not seeing some of those usual faces that so many of these tennis fans for the past couple of decades have been so accustomed to. I, I feel like uh, the, the Netflix doc is sort of a primer for that where they've sort of done this. Uh, hey, look, we're, we're turning the corner. This is not going to be a documentary about uh, Federer Nadal, Serena Williams, Djokovic, yeah. Venus. We're really going to introduce you to a new, you know, new class of stars. And uh, the tournament is, is sort of turning out that way as well i you know i mean the, the one beauty of of tennis is you're not that star dependent and it's a talking point right now it's a pity that the you know for the for the third time in five majors the number one player in the world isn't in the draw um one of them was novak and his his covid era um deportation the other was medvedev at wimbledon when russians were banned and now we have the more conventional injury absence with with carlos alcaraz at some level, it's disappointing that Naomi Osaka has won this event, you know, tw- twice in the last four years isn't here. There's also a bit of a sigh of relief and, uh, you know, a, a happy note that this is not because she is bored with tennis or burnt out, as a lot of people have suspected. It's because she's an expecting mother. And I, I think early on, there'll, there'll be some talk about the absences in the draw, and then we'll get a couple of exciting matches. This is essentially what happened at the U.S. Open as well, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Roger Federer wasn't there. Serena Williams was had the grand retirement. And then the second week, we went back to talking about these incredible matches and Alcaraz and Francis Tiafo and Giga and Anstruber. And I, I think t- tennis has a really nice sort of uh, rhythm to it where, 
yeah, it's it's unfortunate that these stars were, you know, we're, we're used to rooting for um, both sort of in, in the short term, in the case of Alcaraz, and then in the longer term, in the case of Serena and, and Roger aren't there. But these events have a way of sort of filling the vacuum very quickly. And, you know, for Casper Rude's going to play some crazy five setter that ends at three in the morning and we're going to quickly pivot to talking about tennis again. So um, I, I think the absences will, you know, we'll, we'll forget about it in the next 72 hours. Yeah. And uh, look, we, we briefly touched on it and uh, Mike, I'll, I'll steal your question, but you know, you can, I knew you were going to do it. I had, a sense I, I had coming. to, but you, you can weigh in on your thoughts just, uh, but, but John, maybe some initial thoughts for you on Breakpoint, the new Netflix series. Is this something that can attract uh, new fans to our sport as um, I think that's obviously the intention sort of modeled after F1's drive to survive, which of course was a huge success. You know, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of uh, it, it sort of has a, a tennis rhythm where it's like, you know, is this the next Federer? And you say, you know, this, this could be a very good player. I don't know if it's the next Roger Federer. Um, I don't think we're going to see anything quite like Drive to Survive where you have this sort of mystical sport that, I mean, I, I think Americans didn't know anything about F1. Um, mm. You know, I, this is one of these sort of, it's this, crazy sport that's big in Europe and wasn't Michael Schumacher a driver once. I mean, that's sort of the level of even sports fans in the U S they obviously have a much greater familiarity with tennis. I, I think parts of it are, are very, very well done. I think it's entertaining. I think I, I saw it's already among the, the top 10 most viewed content options on Netflix. I, there, there's a lot to recommend here. I don't think it's going to transform tennis or sort of uh, do, do anything close to tennis. What, it did for formula one, but I'm not sure that's a realistic expectation. Um, I, I think tennis fans will kind of like it, not love it. There's not a whole lot that's new. There's sort of, if, if you can pick it apart and there's some, some gaping holes and there's some sort of, wait a second, why didn't they include X or how do they jump right ahead and didn't even talk about Miami or why didn't they mention Novak's deportation or Ash Barty's, might drop retirement. I mean, I think there, there'll be sort of t- tennis fans will, will like it, not love it, but I, I do think it could really catch on with, you know, people like my friends who don't have great familiarity with tennis and they'll be, you know, they, they don't know these stories. They don't know that Nick Curious has this bipolar relationship with tennis. They, they don't, I, I think they'll find appeal in the characters. They'll learn something about tennis. I don't think it's going to transform the sport, but I think it's certainly better, better to have than not to have. Yeah. What, what do you got? I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I mean, I think it can't hurt. It can only do good. It's right. not like it's going to set exactly. tennis back. And um, exactly. my wife and I, and my family got hooked on the uh, drive to survive F1 series. And we watch all the races now. And if you had told me that three years ago, I never would have believed it. So I'm sure there will be some people that, that uh, go through a similar process with tennis. And it's the personalities I think that are going to bring new fans to uh, the, the table. It might not be the sport itself. It might not be that people have picked up a racket, but if they get hooked on a Curios or a Badosa or whatever these personalities are showing in this series, and I've only watched the first episode, I got to be honest, but I, I think it can't do anything but positive for the sport. Yeah, that's pretty much, uh, I mean, to, to me, there were, there were some missed opportunities that were disappointing. Um, you know, you, you talk about the Curios incident. He says, you know, I've had to deal with racism and you want to say, wow, that's, that's really horrible. T- tell me more. What, what are the specifics? What, mm-hmm. what happened? How did you process that? There, there's, there's, there just sort of some disappointing missed opportunities. 
but I, I think that's that's pretty much my attitude as well. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen is it's merely but a nice add-on, and the best thing that can happen is it has a whole new class of casual fans that are now suddenly invested in Anstra Burr and Casper Rude and Dick Curios. But there, there's no reason not to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, you you said that well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, John, before we let you go, um, how about since Mike and I are going to give our picks uh, after this, but if you had one dark horse pick on the men's side and one dark horse pick on the women's side to maybe make a deep run here in Australia, um, who would your names be? Oh, man. How how, how dark should we go? I mean, outside, outside <laughs> Let's the top, all, uh, top 20? Yeah. Yeah, outside, say, outside the top 20? Yeah. yeah. Um, can, can we pause and say how crazy it is? There, there is a Wimbledon champion whose name scarcely is mentioned anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't think Bianca is the worst dark horse. Um, I, I mean, she could lose in the first round. She's outside. If you can believe this, she's outside the top seventy right now. But Garbina Muguruza's like she's been to the players. She's come within a few points of winning this event. She's won two majors. She's still chronologically pretty much in her prime um who knows what's going on with her but talk about an unseated player that you sort of say whoa uh how, how did that happen um yeah. i i don't you know i mean she she could lose in round one and end of conversation but i think she's also uh a player to watch and then on the men's side um oh man i you know i mean i think so sebastian porta maybe who had match points against novak and uh I, I, I like this kid Quan, who was the, the lucky loser, um, who just who just won in Auckland. Uh, it's a, a little hard to read too much into these events the week before a major, but um, you know, for for a guy who's ranked outside the top fifty, he sure looked good. Um, I just saw him that match against Jack Draper. You say, how is this guy ranked eighty four in the world? Now he's right around number fifty. Um, keep keep an eye on on Quan. But I, you know, I mean, I think the way tennis is now, I, I mean. Is, is Taylor Fritz a dark horse? Well, he's a, he's a top 10 player. He's a top 10 seed, but he's also a guy who hasn't had a great track record at, at the majors. Um, but uh, man, what, what other, other dark horses? Um, I think, I think to your point about Fritz, you know, a lot of players that sort of, uh, I don't want to say teased us, but showed us what they are capable of last year need to show that they can back it up this year too. So we believe it perhaps, you know? Yeah, that's really well said. I think I think there are a lot of players in that boat that had, uh, you know, that, that showed some, some real signs in 2022, but we're not 100% bought in yet. We were just talking on air about Belinda Bencic, sort of a, a different type of player. But, you know, here's a player that's, that's won a title. She's been in the top 10. She's the reigning Olympic singles champion. Is this the time that it all comes together? She has a new coach in Dmitry Kursinov. I think there are a lot of players hovering in that area of, yeah, you had some nice wins in the last 12 months. Let's see what you've got when we're playing best of five tennis or in the case of the women, when one of the four biggest titles is on the line. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, hey, listen, John, you just got me super pumped up for the start of the matches. <laughs> so as soon as this wraps, I know what I'm going to do. And uh, look, you have a safe trip down there because you mentioned to me before we hit record that uh, you're going to be going for the second week. And we're looking forward to your analysis on Tennis Channel, as always. And uh, I've been a big fan of your work going back to you know, your earlier uh, Sports Illustrated articles. So thank you so much for taking the time to join uh, Ben and I on this episode to preview the, the tournament. That was fun. Thanks. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, go, go watch some tennis.
<laughs> Thank you. That was uh, guest John Wertheim appearing on Matchpoint Canada. And I mean, we posed the question to him, Mike, and I guess now it's our job if we're talking about some dark horses in this field, maybe starting with the men's side. So difficult. Uh, so difficult, man. I was trying to figure this out this afternoon. Who's my dark horse pick on the men's side? And I couldn't come up with anybody initially. So <laughs> okay. I had to dig deep and I, and I went to a, you know, the Canadian in me came out, I guess. And uh, Denis Shapovalov, who's yeah. uh, seated 20th. Right. He was really the only one who I thought, you know what, if he's playing his best tennis and he had a deep run last year uh, and it could have gone even better for him last year. But uh, I, I think if he's if he's clicking, he's the only one I can see outside the top 20 who could uh, have a go at uh, at a deeper run here. You know what? I, I thought he actually he played really well, I think, in the first week of the season, too. Honestly, he he looked really strong in Adelaide, even in his match that he lost to Novak Djokovic. It was a match where the scoreline was misleading, you know, one break in that first set. But he was almost outplaying him for the first seven games, got a little tight, a little nervous. But he was playing his best brand of tennis, sort of aggressive, but mindful and and being smart tactically. And I like his draw, Dusan Lajevic to start. I, I think there's there's an opening to for him to maybe catch, catch lightning in, in a bottle and go on a bit of a run. So I like that pick. Um, my pick, a, yeah, just outside the top 20, the one name I could come up with for now, uh, he's a former top 15 player and he's seated here is Borna Chorich and Chorich won this, um, you know, the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati last year. That was sort of the announcement of his return. Uh, he has some big match pedigree. You know, he's he's beaten Rafa and Roger, Roger before in the past. And I thought he looked really good at United Cup starting his season. A couple nice wins, uh, beat Serendolo pretty comfortably and played Tsitsipas in a long three-setter, which I think was 7-5 in the third. So he looks like he's playing some of his best tennis. Uh, he's in a pretty good section of the draw as well uh, that I wouldn't be stunned if, if Borna could make a little bit of a run, maybe a round of 16 or, or a quarter even. Good pick also. It was difficult though, wasn't it, on the men's side very, to come up with very. someone? Because I think <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough to crack anyone who's above uh, 20 in the rankings, I feel here. On the women's side, different. Uh, mm -hmm. And I had a few, so I'll just give you a couple of mine uh, to go first, I guess. And one is the 29th seed, uh, Zhang Quinn Win, who we saw in Toronto last summer. And uh, I'm having a bit of a uh, brain meltdown here. But uh, was it Bianca that she took out? In That's uh... right. She beat Bianca in, in three sets there. And uh, I think she got to the quarterfinals, if I'm mistaken. We were both right. so impressed with, uh, with, with what she brought to the table. And I think she's a player who's going to take another step forward in 2023. And the other name I put forth is one who's more established, been around longer, seated 30th. And that's the ace queen, Karolina Pliskova, who thought by now maybe would have had a slam, made a couple of finals more recently at uh, Wimbledon on grass, but made the semis here in Melbourne in 2019. She's made the semis or better at each of the four slams. And, uh, and someone who, you know, sort of like how John said with Muguruza, could go out early, of course, but wouldn't yeah. surprise me either if she was sticking around for the second week. Well, we we overlapped here uh, for one of our picks. Uh, I also had Zheng Xinwen. My only concern with her, and, and she played well in, in her lead-up events, but I know in the semi or was the round of 16 in Adelaide, uh, she did pull out mid-match against Petra Kvitova, so... I'm not certain if she's 100% healthy, so I have a little bit of trepidation there, but I think she should be well-rested enough. I actually like Victoria Azarenka 
to maybe maybe make a run here. She's looked really good uh, to start the season. She'll open against uh, 2020 champion Sophia Cannon, who we know has just kind of fallen off the face of the earth, frankly. Uh, so I like her in that match. And then just the draw, um, that quarter that she's in, you, you know, Maria Zachary has been very up and down in form. I think 2022 is a struggle for her. Madison Keys, Jill Teichman in that section as well. It feels like, you know, Vika, I, I would say, is playing uh the most most strong tennis out of out of that group right now that i wouldn't be shocked if she could come through that quarter and that would ruin my state if she won the tournament somehow it ruin my earlier statement about how we're gonna have a new <laughs> melbourne a new aussie open women's champ this year so that would just be perfect that would be yeah i'm me later for it i guess there you go there you yeah. go i'm not picking her to win the tournament but do we want to talk about our favorites or do we kind of cover that with john i don't know you tell me i think we i think we covered that pretty well with with john okay. I, I mean i I'm not dismissing, I'll, I'll never dismiss the chances of Rafael Nadal. It is astonishing how bad of a draw he has, though. It's, I it's mean, really bad. A Draper off the bat, uh, Tiafo, maybe Nakashima, yeah, yeah, Medvedev like, in that quarter. Like that, that's, that's deadly uh, to think that, you know, Medvedev and Nadal played a five hour, 26 minute, five set thriller in the finals of this event last year. And at that time, Medvedev looked like the best maybe arguably the best hardcore player on earth at that time. He just won the U S open was in incredible form and seeing a, a seventh seed next to his name is unusual. Uh, Nadal of course moves into that number one slot because of Carl- Carlos Alcaraz's withdrawal. But uh, the idea that they would meet in the quarterfinals is just, it, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, Novak Djokovic and Rafa playing in the quarterfinals of Roland Garros last year. It, just doesn't feel right just too soon (laughs) like we see that number four next to Novak's name that also doesn't look right Mm. and I I think that won't be there for very long um no do we want to chat a little bit uh, more about some of the Canadians because I mean we mentioned Bianca and Layla with John Wertheim and um you know maybe we should talk about Felix uh, with his opening match against and I hate when this happens and so many Canadian tennis fans on Twitter collectively your heart sank and we felt that as we saw your comments when you see that Felix Ogialiasim has to open up against fellow Canadian, good friend, and and I would say mentor as well, Vashik Pospisil in round one. Yeah, look, uh, I think this is a bad draw for both players. Uh, of course, Felix is going to be the strong favorite here. That's obvious. Uh, he's an established top 10 player now. The way he ended 2022, three consecutive ATP titles in the indoor hardcourt swing, qualifies for the ATP finals, was just, uh, you know, probably one of the three best players in the world post-US Open, I would argue. Vashik Pospisil, for me, like, he was really sort of rebuilding and getting his career back on the right track towards the end of 2022. He now has a new coach in Malik Jaziri, who just recently retired. He's back inside the top 100. I kind of feel for Vashik because he hasn't had great success in Melbourne in the past, but you'd think with his weapons that serve forehand combination, he's strong at net that he could make a run here with a nice draw. And you're like thinking, my goodness, did you have to draw someone uh, like Felix Ojeda in the first round? Right. I think they'll have a good match, honestly, uh, but it's just unfortunate. One of them has to go home. I think the conditions will dictate a lot too, because Vashik has never been a player who's really thrived in the, the, the heats the gives him heat. trouble. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Whereas Felix, I mean, just look at him. The guy is, is just an absolute, peak physical shape so um I, I think it'll really depend on um yeah what the the temperatures are like at, at that point in time uh, Denis Shapovalov um could have Hubert Hercatch in round three which would be a tough opponent fairly early on in the draw um what are you feeling with Dennis as it comes to this uh, first slam 
I, I like his chances, honestly, and he does play well in Australia. We almost forget. Uh, I mean, we have short-term memory in this sport. He was in the quarterfinals last year and was in a fifth set with a struggling Rafael Nadal who looked like he was down and out. Like there was a great opportunity there uh, just last year for Denis Shapovalov to be in the semifinals of this tournament, maybe facing the Italian Matteo Berrettini. He was very close uh, to beating Shapovalov, probably the second closest next next to Daniil Medvedev, frankly. Yeah, so but that then tells they had you that little, they had that little meeting at the net when Rafa <laughs> reached out and touched him on the shoulder and that was it. He just sucked it all out of him somehow. Uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a spat, probably not Dennis's greatest moment um but but that's fine I I honestly like his section of the draw as well you know he is in the same quarter as Rafa and Medvedev but you look at here her catch has just uh been rather unreliable in slams over the past year plus now uh so I wouldn't trust him to necessarily make a run I mean John Wertheim talked about Sebastian Corda who's in that section as well I think there's a great chance for Dennis though to make the round of 16 maybe he lines up against Adino Medvedev and, and gets a challenge he lost him in three sets in the finals of Vienna there but I think round of 16 would be a great result for Shapovalov here that'd be a fun match too and uh, to go over to the women's side we talked about Bianca and Layla so I want to talk about two Canadians who aren't quite in the limelight like they are and one is Rebecca Maria of uh, Rebecca Marino who mm-hmm. is in uh, Maria Zachary's section of the draw and opens against uh, world number 87 uh, Ju Lin uh, of China and I think that's as good as a, an opening round match as you could hope for for Marino who is now into the main draw of a slam for a third consecutive uh, major so that just speaks to the hard work that she's put in uh, and she made the third round at the U.S. Open uh, last summer. So, um, you know, I think Rebecca could uh, could win a couple of rounds. And then Catherine Seabov, what a great story, who just turned 24, qualifies for her first ever main draw. She's ranked 190th on the WTA, and she's going to get uh, roughly $95,000 Canadian or 70000 U.S., even if she doesn't make it out of the first round. And And we know how important that is to players like her who've never had that kind of payday before. Yeah, this is an amazing breakthrough for for Sebov, who is really homegrown in Toronto, honestly. She, she's grown up here. She's trained here. I'll, I'll just tell you this. Um, past three weeks, actually, just literally just three weeks ago, I was hitting at the Aviva Center Courts, and this has happened a couple of times, and, and Sebov was training on the court next to me. She hits a huge, flat, powerful forehand, uh, just flies right through the court, looked really, really impressive. Uh, that's not a surprise. Generally, if I'm hitting next to a professional tennis player, they always look impressive. This happens all <laughs> but, the time. I hear about this all the time. And I wonder, what do they say about you? Do they say, oh, I saw this podcast host and he was written, <laughs> re- re- you know, hitting really big in the left. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd be terrified to know what Sebov would say uh, <laughs> next to me. Um, but yeah, just just to wrap up on, on the fact that she qualified here. Uh, she's just 24 years old. I, I think she still has some good years ahead. And in doing so, she had to beat one of the top seeds in qualifying, Linda Noskova, who had just been in a final the week prior, had a breakout week. So Sebov is playing the best tennis of her life. She's going to play Caroline Garcia, who we know is a formidable player, top five talent, just won the WTA finals. But just to qualify here, um, you know, be inside the top 200 sets, sets her up so nicely for 2023. Yeah, well said. And one other Canadian that we do have to mention, a third seed in women's doubles is Gabby Dabrowski, who's playing with Juliana Olmos. And, uh, Seems like it's always Gabby who we think that's a pretty good lock to make the second week, whether it's in women's doubles or mixed doubles. So all the best to uh, to Gabby in the draw as well. But 
you know, for our listeners, our Canadian listeners, our Canadian fans, hopefully when we touch base with you next week at our, our mid-tournament uh, episode, there's still a few Canucks that we have to uh, to talk positively about. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>